0: behind the scenes footage and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org/podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an s. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.
1: From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Maddie Bolaños in San Francisco. Changes are coming to California's masking policies. Effective tomorrow, the state will be further easing its recommendations and leaving more to personal choice. As KCRW's Tara Atrian reports, the new guidance revolves around COVID community levels set by the federal government. The California Department of Public Health's new recommendations are based on the COVID status of a resident's county. The CDC uses a combination of factors like hospital admissions linked to the virus and the rate of new infections to determine it. When the changes go into effect Friday, if a county's in the low level, the broad population can choose to mask up based on personal preference. However, those more susceptible to COVID should consider wearing a mask in crowded indoor settings. When a county's in the medium tier, widespread mask wearing should be a consideration for most people, while it becomes recommended for those at higher risk. At the highest viral level, the state recommends everyone wear a mask when inside crowded, enclosed spaces. Local governments can choose to be stricter than the state, but the update still opens the door for certain congregate settings like prisons and homeless shelters to soften their face-covering policies when community levels are low. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. And those recommendations do not apply to healthcare settings and nursing homes. Masks in those settings are still required for all people, regardless of vaccination status. Candidates for L.A.'s next sheriff and mayor faced off in back-to-back televised debates last night. The mayoral debate was a clash between Congresswoman Karen Bass and real estate developer Rick Caruso. One of the major topics facing both candidates is the problem of homelessness in the city. Both have outlined their own plans. Here's Bass, who says finding permanent housing is going to be key. We have to get people off the street right away, but shelters are not the answer. And what we have done too long is we have put people in shelters. Now the shelters have become so dangerous that people don't even want to be in the shelters and are choosing to be outside on the street. So we have to have interim housing, but it has to be very limited in time, and we have to move people into permanent supportive housing. Caruso says he feels his real estate experience can help manage the cost of building both permanent and temporary housing for the unhoused community.
0: My plan is clearly to call a state of emergency, take the authority in the mayor's office, bring a team of the best and the brightest. I want to be a part of a team of change agents that are actually going to get something done. We have studied what has worked across the country and across the world. Immediately start building shelter beds. 30,000 is part of the plan. 500 caseworkers. 500 sanitation workers to clean up the street.
1: The two also sparred over how they would handle public safety and crime. Bass has called for an increase in police staff and more officers on the street, but Caruso wants to expand the force to 11,000 officers, which would be an all-time high for the Los Angeles Police Department. Meanwhile, current LA County Sheriff Alex Villanueva and his opponent in November, retired Long Beach Police Chief Robert Luna, also took part in their own heated debate last night. Villanueva, who has clashed with the board of supervisors throughout his time as sheriff, said if county voters elected Luna, he would just be a puppet for the board.
2: When the board of supervisors recruits eight candidates to run against me, they did it for one reason only, because they want a puppet. And we have the person right here as that puppet. He volunteered for that. This is about the independence Of the sheriff's department in checks and balances against the unlimited power of the board of supervisors that's what's at stake
1: luna was allowed to respond
0: here's something that the sheriff needs to learn when you're working with people that doesn't mean you're a puppet that means you're working with people to collaborate at the end of the day to serve our community the members of our county in the best way possible.
1: When asked about last week's controversial raid at the home and office of County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl and others in connection with a corruption probe, Luna said he would have referred the case to an outside agency. But Villanueva fired back, saying that Luna was afraid to touch public corruption. State Attorney General Rob Bonta has taken over the investigation of that case. A judge has ordered the sheriff's department to stop going through the items deputies seized in their searches. A hearing on the next step for the case is set for later today. And in other news, Attorney General Rob Bonta is creating an office of gun violence prevention. KQED Politics editor Scott Schaefer reports.
0: The attorney general said the new initiative will use data and public health measures to implement steps aimed at reducing gun violence. Speaking at a nonprofit in San Francisco that works in high schools to reduce violence, Bonta said prosecuting gun-related crimes isn't enough.
2: To me, the best crime is the crime that never is, that never occurs, where there's no victim and no survivor, no one is injured, no one's life is cut short, no one's life is taken.
0: California has one of the lowest rates of gun-related deaths in the nation. Still, nearly 3,500 people died from gun violence in California in 2020, and four people who were shot and killed in Oakland earlier this week alone. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer.
1: Some good news in the battle against the Mosquito Fire in the Sierra Foothills as all evacuation orders have been lifted for residents in El Dorado and Placer Counties. Fire officials lifted the last evacuation orders on Wednesday, although they do warn residents that there are still some road closures in the fire area. Judy Hall has lived in Michigan Bluff for decades. She spoke to ABC10 in Sacramento after returning to her home, which was saved by fire crews.
2: I can't even begin to describe
1: what all they did to protect these homes. Hall's home was saved, but she says some of her neighbors had major damage on their property and could be forced to move. Daryl Moore of Todd Valley tells ABC10 that he's grateful for all the work firefighters have put in.
0: It was scary to to think that this could all be gone. It was pretty tough. Just unbelievable people. That's all I can say.
2: Just thankful.
1: Fire officials are warning people that as they do return home, they could encounter toxic and hazardous materials. The fire has burned 76,000 acres and is 49 percent contained. Hundreds of miles from where a wildfire begins, smoke can choke the sky and turn it orange. Soot and other airborne pollutants from fire are a fast-growing public health problem in California. And in the new paper, scientists from Stanford University estimate millions of people live where wildfire smoke has made breathing unhealthy. Joining me now to talk about this is Molly Peterson from our California Newsroom Collaboration. Hi, Molly. Glad to be here. So last year, public radio reporters found that wildfire smoke from California can extend across the country. But what more have scientists learned about smoke pollution since then?
2: Well, this year, the same scientists, some of them who advised the reporters who worked last year, they, these scientists have worked to further establish what's in the sky and connecting it to what people might have breathed on the ground. And what they've sort of estimated is that 27 times as many people live where the air is unhealthy, specifically from fires, that there are some places west of the Mississippi that have seen as much additional particulate pollution related to smoke as the Clean Air Act was supposed to clean from the skies in the last half century. So this is a significant increase in the potential risk from wildfire smoke for humans.
1: Interesting. And we know that low-income people in Latino neighborhoods like in the Central Valley, they're already breathing air polluted by trucks and cars. So how did the scientists figure out what pollution is from fire and what isn't?
2: Yeah, it's a difficult question because it's hard to track smoke for a few different reasons. Smoke doesn't move in some sort of smooth blanket over the skies. It curls and it moves in the winds and in the atmosphere. Um, It can be made up of different components depending on what is burning. So the scientists used estimates to sort of measure backward in time what happened in the last 16 years. They combined these satellite measurements with uh, ground-based monitors from the Environmental Protection Agency, that they looked at what those ground-based monitors were measuring on days where they knew it was smoky and they adjusted for potential other sources of particular pollution. So they created their own model. And the burden falls heavily already on some populations more than others. So understanding this additional pollution makes a big difference.
1: And if, if this is a growing public health problem, have public agencies started to do anything about it?
2: What they've done has been really small so far. They're giving out air filters to low-income communities and low-income families. Um, Some air districts are, you know, doing that. Some air districts are advising people how to stay safe. Uh, But the real question is how we meet the problem at its source, how we begin to think about managing forests and the risk of fires differently if it's going to affect human health.
1: Great. Thanks again, Molly Peterson. You're welcome. A new bill sitting on Governor Gavin Newsom's desk could help street vendors get permits and comply with the state's food code system, essentially making it easier for them to conduct business. The California report went to some bustling Latinx neighborhoods in San Francisco and L.A. to ask street vendors what this legislation would mean to them if passed. It's a Friday evening in San Francisco's Mission District. A cool breeze runs through the streets, and sidewalks are filled with street vendors selling flowers, jewelry, and food. Maria Sanchez is a 65-year-old Salvadorian street vendor. She sells sliced fruit and churros on the corner of 24th and Mission, right outside the park station. She says she used to walk around and sell her food, but 11 years ago, she stationed herself on this corner, and she's been selling here ever since. She says she tried several times to get a health permit, but it's just too difficult and expensive when you consider she makes about $80 a day and rents a room for $800 a month. That's where SB 972 comes in. To ensure that we're streamlining permitting for them and also just continuing not to to criminalize them. That's State Senator Lena A. Gonzalez. She represents South L.A. and she co-authored the bill. In 2018, Governor Jerry Brown decriminalized street vending. But the California Retail Food Code, which establishes health and sanitation standards for counties to license food facilities, is really designed for large vendors with costly equipment. Gonzalez says the bill would change that by including smaller push carts and stands and allowing local agencies to reduce or waive permit application fees. The bill would also get rid of criminal penalties for food code violations and replace them with fines. In San Francisco's Mission District, Sanchez says having those protections would make her feel more secure. Down in Los Angeles, at MacArthur Park, Edis, who asked us not to use her last name because of her immigration status, says cities often overlook and ignore street vendors. Edis and other proponents of the bill say it would legitimize street vendors as businesses. But groups who oppose the bill say it gives street vendors too much freedom. The California Contract Cities Association represents 77 cities in Southern California. Marcel Roberti is the group's executive director.
2: Some of the asks that we have in the bill for the bill language is to allow cities to identify areas within the city that are safe. uh, Either private properties, you know, kind of off of the public right-of-way or um, areas that don't impede ADA ramps and, you know, don't impede sidewalks.
1: Senator Lena Gonzalez says cities will still be able to implement regulations on where street vendors can conduct their business. A representative from the governor's office declined to comment on the bill, but said in an email the bill will be evaluated on its merits. Newsom has until September 30th to sign it. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, September 22nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org health equity. Hint. Fruit infused water in over twenty-five flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from DrinkHint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falkor II, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration. On the web at SchmidtOcean.org. Hi there. I'm Randa AbdelFattah from Throughline.